Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this new message called The Manger, The Cross, or The Throne. Now, we're going to be talking about, for the next several weeks, about the the soon-coming king. Actually, I shouldn't use the word soon because I'm not trying to imply I know how quickly Jesus is going to come back, but I do think it's soon relative to how long he has been gone. So, so we will just call this the coming king because the king is coming. He's coming back to planet Earth. He's going to establish his kingdom here on planet Earth. And in reality, when we look back at the birth of Christ, now I know December the 25th, that's not when Jesus was born, but you know something, that doesn't mean you can't celebrate it. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans 14th chapter that, you know, if you determine to make a day holy in your own heart, then it's holy, and that, that's it. And uh, it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what the world is celebrating on December the 25th. It doesn't matter what your neighbors are celebrating. It doesn't matter what some occult group is celebrating. What matters is what's, what, what are you celebrating in your heart? I'll tell you something really interesting about uh, celebrations and feasts and, 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 and the festivals and the sacrifices that, that uh, the children of Israel had in the Old Testament. When you look at the Hebrew language for these observances, you realize that the Hebrew word indicated that they were simultaneously looking back at something God had already done, something that God had already made happen, something that, that was very clear, very understandable, and that they were going to use that to look forward to his promises of what he was going to do in the future. Now, I'll tell you something. Most of the first uh, 20, 25 years that I was a believer and a minister of the gospel, I really didn't have much of a sense of urgency about end-time prophecy. Now, it wasn't that I didn't believe it. It wasn't that I was not excited about Jesus coming back. I just did not feel like it was relevant at that time as much as it is now. You know, the interesting thing about prophecies, and particularly about end-time prophecies, the Bible makes it very clear that there are many end-time prophecies that people are trying to figure out, they're trying to figure out what they mean, they're trying to come to some deep spiritual understanding. And uh, in many cases, the Bible is clear that it will not be until those times come upon us that we will actually be able to understand some of those prophecies. So one of the things that I uh, determined in my own heart was my first 20, 25 years, 30 years in ministry and walking with God, it was more important that I have my priorities fixed on doing what Jesus told us to do, and that was to go into all the nations of the world and make disciples of everyone. And uh, one of the great failures of the church from the time that Jesus was raised from the dead until now is really putting their emphasis on the wrong priorities. 
you know, I talked about this in our world changer letter, which if you're if you're a financial supporter of this ministry, every month you will receive a world changer letter from me. It's not just a motivational letter to get more money out of you. It's actually a letter designed to provide you instruction and teaching and foundational nurturing uh, for whatever we're facing in life. And there's things I feel like I can say to our world changers that I can't say to everybody because these are people that are that are on board. So if you would like to help us raise up 1 billion disciples around the world, then uh, go to impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com and check out World Changers or Operation 1 Billion because Operation 1 Billion is the main effort that we are involved in through our World Changers program. But anyhow, I was talking about this in our World Changer letter that I just wrote about, and, and I, I write about this from time to time, where when the Bible talks about uh, King David's men that surrounded him, the warriors, the generals, the advisors, all these different people that brought different degrees of excellence to uh, his his rule and his kingdom. Uh, one of them describes the tribe of Issachar, and it says of the tribe of Issachar, it says that these were people who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Well, I want to tell you something. I hate to say this. This sounds so critical. It sounds so negative. But I am telling you, as far as I can understand what Jesus told us that we needed to be doing, where we needed to be placing our efforts and our priorities and our attention, and uh, and, and what the church has actually done for the last 2,000 years, I, I don't think that the church has really ever actually been in sync with uh, the priorities that Jesus gave us, first and foremost. But secondly, I don't think we've actually been in sync with the, the times uh, in which we were living. Uh, even, even when people desired to do something beneficial and godly, so many times we were out of sync with with the times that we were living in, therefore we became effective or ineffective rather at doing what would be valuable in those times. But my first 25 or 30 years, I felt like my my main job, my main priority had to be, of course, number one, uh, reaching the lost. Number two, turning every believer into a disciple, helping them know how to walk with God and live in a fruitful life. That's what's that was what I felt like was most important during that period of time. But I can tell you this, in the last 20 years, I put, I've started putting more and more of an emphasis on where we are in world history, where we are in relationship to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because uh, as the world becomes overrun by darkness and lawlessness, or what the King James calls iniquity, then more and more and more, we need to be acutely aware of the times wherein we live. But when we when we start becoming aware of, of the times that we're living in, when we start understanding that there's a priority to where we need to be placing our ministerial efforts and our giving and our serving and all those kinds of things, it's so easy for us to jump into an extreme. You know, you know, when I first got saved, I was so thankful. I went to a Baptist, little Baptist church for about 18 months. And you know what? I am so grateful that I was in that little Baptist church. And uh, uh, about, about 18 months into this, I actually kind of, my, my pastor encouraged me that if I was going to keep reaching 
people that I was reaching, the hippies, the people that didn't know anything about church, didn't know anything about God, that I needed to go out. I needed to start home churches. I need to do things that didn't look like church, but were church, and that I could be relevant. I could be effective at reaching my generation, which was which was what my real passion was all about. But one of the things that that I noticed in the Baptist Church is they had a pretty acute awareness of the second coming of Jesus. And there was a saying that used to float around back in those days about being so heavenly minded that we were no earthly good. And my pastor talked to me about that a lot. And he said, so many people that really get their, their attention focused on the second coming of Jesus really almost fail to be putting priorities where they need to be putting them as far as how to be effective in life right now. And by the same token, people who have a tendency to put efforts into raising up disciples and being effective now have a tendency to lose their passion for the second coming of Jesus. And the reality of it is you've got to have both of those things happening at the same time, or, or else really you will get overbalanced, if you will, in one or the other. And again, you will fall in that crap category of being so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good or you will be fall in that category of, of becoming so earthly focused that you have no heavenly sense of the bigger picture. And, and, and we don't want to go to either one of those extremes. And so that's why in, in the what we call the feast of the Old Testament, the, the observances in the Hebrew, the word for the observance was a, was a word that pointed back to something that God had all, already done so that you would clearly, clearly understand what he's talking about. But also, you would take that clear understanding of what he had done, and you would look forward to the future, and you would have a confidence about what he was going to do in the future. Well, in reality, celebrating the birth of Jesus, even though we do it the wrong time of the year, and even though we do, you know, we have a lot of pagan ideology mixed in with it. That doesn't make us pagans. It doesn't mean we've abandoned the faith. You know, the real truth is, I don't, I've, I've never met a single Christian ever that cut down a Christmas tree and worshiped a tree. I've never met a single uh, Christian that celebrated the worship of the, of the sun God on December the 24th. Just like I've never, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I've never met a Christian that, that celebrates the sun God on Sunday and celebrates the uh, the moon god on Monday, uh, our, and celebrates you know all of these other gods and god. Every day of the week is is actually named after a particular pagan god or goddess. So don't don't tell me that observing a certain day uh, is going to make you a pagan or make you godless or turn God against you. People who tout that stuff are legalists, and the Bible says the the apostle Paul said in Romans fourteen they are weak in the faith. But here's what we want to do. Whatever day we practice or celebrate the birth of Jesus, we need to do this based on the biblical pattern and the biblical admonition to look back at what we can discover through the birth of Christ, the first coming of Jesus, and we can gain a confidence uh, based on all of the prophecies of the first coming of Jesus uh, and we can take all of the hundreds of prophecies about the second coming and say, you know what, just as sure as these prophecies about the first coming were true, they were sure, they were absolute, just as sure 
as God was accurate about those prophecies of the first coming, God is accurate about the prophecies of the second coming. So we can be sure, we can be confident about the promises of God, about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. We can be, we can be sure and confident about uh, the promises of God about the rapture. Even, you know, there are people that just insist that the rapture is not in the Bible. It's not in the New Testament. I'm like, you know what? Evidently, you don't know the Bible very well because you've got the rapture, the typology of the rapture. And we talked about this in, in my recent series that I did, and it's, it's available here on our website, uh, about the morning after. Where we talk about the things leading up to the rapture and the things that are going to happen immediately after the rapture. And we just barely scratched the surface. But anyhow, you know, we've got hundreds of incredible scriptures about the birth of Christ, the first coming of Jesus. Now, amazingly, non-believers probably know more scriptures about the birth of Christ than they do any other topic in the Bible. But the problem is, whether you're talking about non-believers or believers, the truth is almost every scripture that we quote or read about the first coming of Jesus, uh, we either uh, we, we have either misinterpreted those scriptures or they have been misrepresented to us by religious thinkers. I call them religionists. It doesn't matter what cat. It doesn't matter if they're they're liberals, doesn't matter if they're legalists, doesn't matter what category they fall into. Religionists are people that use religion, that use ceremony, that use rules, that use rituals, uh, use all of these different things as a substitute for a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. See, misinterpretation is when, and it can happen accidentally, it can happen on purpose, but misinterpretation by and large is when we misunderstand the meanings, the meaning of a scripture. Now, that happens a lot of different ways. Can't go into it here in this message. Don't have time. I talk about this a lot, but one of the biggest ways is that we uh, we redefine words. Religion has always redefined biblical words, given them meanings that have nothing to do with what is said in the original Greek and Hebrew language. And so even though we're quoting scriptures, uh, our understanding of them is is a total misinterpretation, not accurate, don't help us, don't benefit us at all. But then there is misrepresentation. Now, misrepresentation is when there is a deliberate perversion of the meaning of a scripture, uh, and that usually happens when a person has a way that they need to twist the scripture so it will support their doctrines, their beliefs, their lifestyle, or whatever. So, so we have misinterpretations where people misunderstand the meanings, but we have misrepresentation. And I'm telling you, we, we, we've had hundreds of years of misrepresentation about the meanings of Scripture, and therefore we, 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 we don't get it. And one of the places where we fail to grasp the value of Scripture so very much, particularly when it comes to the first and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, is, is in the prophetic value. And because we don't see, believe, understand, believe the prophetic value of the, of the scriptures that foretold his first coming, then we don't come to trust God and trust the scriptures about the second coming. You know, Isaiah 7, 14 says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And this was 
this was a word spoken by the prophet Isaiah to the to the nation of Israel. And like many prophecies, uh, it was a prophecy that 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 had had an immediate interpretation and fulfillment, but then it had a long range or long term fulfillment. And the long term fulfillment of this passage of scripture was about the first coming of the Messiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I've just got to tell you, packed into that little short passage of scripture, which is actually a prophecy, there are some of the most significant Bible doctrines that we must believe if we will ever discover who God is, if we'll ever see God the way he is, believe in God as he reveals himself. And secondly, if we will ever come to understand uh, our role here on planet Earth and our capacity to represent God. Now, you just wouldn't think that there would be so much packed into the scripture. But, but another thing that comes out in this is the fact that this was a prophecy that was that was given hundreds of years before the first coming. When Jesus came the first time, this is so very important to understand this. The first time Jesus came, he came and he revealed himself as a lowly, humble servant. He was born of a virgin, which meant uh, a part of his uh, of his uh, uh, DNA came from a woman, which meant he was a human being, but he did not carry the chromosomes of a male human father because God was his father. The Holy Spirit moved on Mary, and Mary conceived and brought forth a child, and this child was fully a human being. Uh, but did not have a male father. Now, this is key because if Jesus had had a male father, his bloodline would have been determined by the father, and the sin nature is actually passed down uh, from generation to generation to generation through the bloodline of the father. And since Jesus was born of a virgin, uh, the only distinction between him and you, or him and me, him and anyone else that has ever lived, was that he was not born with a sin nature. And now this, this is very important to realize. He wasn't born without a sin nature. We were, but when we were born again, we were freed from our sin nature. I'm telling you, this becomes one of the most significant things you're ever going to believe. If you want to live in victory, if you want to experience the grace of God in your life, if you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit giving you victory over sin, then I'm telling you, you you're, you're going to want to stick around for what the Bible is going to reveal to us about this, this very issue. Now, in the Hebrew language, you know, when you, when you look up a word, there is a general meaning of what any particular word means. For example, the word Emmanuel is generally uh, translated as God with us. Now, the key thing about God with us is the fact 
that no person had ever seen God face to face except the Son, the Son of God. And John, the Apostle John, he writes in his gospel that, you know, how that uh, the Son, uh, the, the Logos, as he was referred to, the Logos of God was, was with God and was God. And so Jesus is the only uh, man, the only human that has ever walked planet Earth that understood exactly who God was and was able to take what God said and, and move past just the external aspect of what God said and move into the true intentions and the true motives of what God actually said. You know, I'm just, I'm, one of the things that amazes me, I'm telling you, this amazes me. I see people uh, online and, and they have a theological position where, and, and where they say that you can't follow Jesus' teaching because Jesus was a teacher of the law and we are, you know, we are of the new covenant. And, uh, uh, and, and so, you know, immediately I'm like, what in the world are you thinking? Because how do we understand the, the new covenant if we don't understand it from the scripture? And in fact, when Jesus taught the scripture, the Bible says he was the word, the logos. And the logos is more than just the, you know, the, uh, the didactic word. It's more than just the straightforward one line, one meaning, one dimensional concepts that we have of the word of God. The Logos gets into everything that, that the Word of God can mean, everything that it can mean uh, in, in a straightforward uh, interpretation, translation, but everything that it can mean in relationship to everything else that God has ever promised, everything else that God has done for us through the death, burial, and resurrection. And so the Logos gets into the living Word. It gets into how the Word of God can affect every dimension of our life, where it is just the, the a straightforward, one-dimensional interpretation of the Word of God cannot affect every area of our life. It can only affect one area. And so legalism actually is the product of looking at the Word in a very one-dimensional way, whereas, whereas faith, uh, and not just faith in general, but faith in Jesus as the Word of God, brings us into a living relationship so that everything that God says affects everything in, in our lives. And so Jesus never did away with anything in, in that God ever said, and not only that, he came to fulfill it. Now, to fulfill it, that does not mean he came to do away with it or bring it to an end. That is not what the Greek word fulfill means. To fulfill something means to bring it to its original goal, its original intention. Well, the problem was, until Jesus came as the Logos, until Jesus came as, as the one being who was God, who was with God, who understood God, who grasped every intention, every motive of everything that God ever said, he is the only person that could actually help us grasp the Word of God in anything more than an intellectual or legalistic, uh, legalistic way. And so in Jesus, we have the opportunity, first of all, to see the full motive and the intention of everything that God ever said. Secondly, 
we in Jesus, we have the opportunity to experience the grace of God working in us so that we have the power to live that word of God. Thirdly, we have the capacity to enter into a dimension with God that, that is really otherworldly, that moves us beyond the, the dimensions of time and space as we know them and move us into the supernatural. And so, and so the word Emmanuel, if you look at the most basic understanding of that word, it does mean God with us. But in the Hebrew language, one of the interesting things uh, that, that the Hebrew language was designed to do is that when you look up the root word in the Hebrew language, every letter in the root word has its own definition. That may, And there's usually three letters in the root word. And so this means that you can get an incredibly deep definition, multi-dimensional definition of what a word means. And here's one of the things that I love so much about it. Uh, the root of every Hebrew word is a verb, which means when you, when you are searching and prayerfully reading and praying and seeking to understand the scriptures, then, then one of the things that that's going to happen is that because every Hebrew word is a verb, in fact, you're going to discover, and the Holy Spirit's going to teach you and empower you how to put your understanding of the word into practice. In other words, whatever God is showing you about the word, he's going to move you into putting it in practice. So it actually changes your world, changes the world, people around you. So the Hebrew word root word for Emmanuel, which means is God with us, is spelled by three letters, and it's the A-N, the open mem, and the closed mem. Well, the, the letter A-N has to do with perception. So Emmanuel means that we are going to be able to have a perception of God through the Lord Jesus Christ where we can really see him as he is. We can move past all the legalistic, religious nonsense. We can move past so many of the limiting concepts we have about God, see God as he is. And then the what they call the open man is, see, in our perception, our perception is going to, by looking at Jesus, our perception is going to open up, and we're going to be able to perceive God as he really is, based on what Jesus reveals about him. And then there's what's called the closed mem. And we'll we'll talk more about these letters and what they mean in an upcoming message. Now, the closed mem is like a secret revelation. It doesn't mean that it's different than what's in the Scripture. It doesn't mean that it's contradictory to what's in the Scripture. But a secret or a private revelation means God is going to take that which is in the Scripture which is available to everyone. But what God is going to do is by the Holy Spirit, he is going to show you how that applies to your life right now, how that empowers your life right now. And I'm telling you something, that's what you want. You don't want a bunch of religious uh, duty. You don't want a bunch of legalism. You don't want a bunch of ceremonies. You don't. Nobody comes to God for that kind of stuff. We come to God because we want a better life. We come to God because we want to know him. We want to experience him. 
we come to God with a full expectation that we're going to have this, this supernatural journey that's going to last all of our lives, and we let religion rob that from us because we stop looking at Jesus and we start looking at church, we start looking at preachers, we start looking at, at doctrines, we start looking at uh, denominations, we start looking at groups. And, and before long, the group is thinking for us and we're not really reading the Word, we're not studying the Word, we're not connected to God. We're not having this living, powerful experience. So you know something? And you be ready because in this series, I'm just telling you what we are going to dive into, what it means to know Jesus as Emmanuel. We're going to discover the depths of what it means, uh, of the whole virgin birth. Why is this so very important? So be sure and join me next week and share this with all your friends. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers Podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.